Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 326 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday, July 8, 2021, and over the next few weeks leading up to the NBA draft, we have some special interviews coming up with none other than friend of the podcast, fellow Young Jeezy fan, Jay Billis. And before we get into what we're doing on this show, I'm Donald Wine, the host for this episode. I also have Jason Evans and Sam Klein with me. Jason, good morning. Good morning to you, sir. I'm real excited for folks to hear our NBA draft coverage because our NBA draft coverage is basically Jay Billis telling us everything we need to know about the draft. <laughs> we, we have the ultimate cheat sheet. And, and Sam Klein, good morning to you as well. Yeah, this is just about the easiest that we've ever had it on on presenting draft coverage. And and frankly, I haven't been as plugged in on the draft this year because there aren't as many Duke guys who are near the top or, or guys that I'm really concerned with. So it was nice to have Jay on to kind of remind us that, hey, the, this this part of the year is coming around and, and now I'm more excited for the draft having having talked to him for a bit about it. Yeah, it's going to be great. And for us, for those of you out there, this is how it's going to be shaping up. We obviously have three two players that are in uh, eligible for this NBA draft, Matthew Hurt, DJ Stewart, and Jalen Johnson. And we basically talked with Jay about all three of them, and we're, we're going to split these up into several episodes. So for today, we're going to focus on Matthew Hurt. So without further ado, let's just jump right into the interview with Jay Billis on Matthew Hurt's draft prospects and what we could expect from him where he could land on July 29th. So we are here with the world-renowned Jay Billis, obviously friend of the podcast, has been here before. So Jay, first of all, welcome back to the show. Uh, also the keeper of the man who is the best young Jeezy fan that I know. So uh, you know, let's get to work uh, with all of this stuff. So please, uh, uh, we appreciate you being back here on the DBR podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're one of the main analysts for ESPN during the NBA draft. We're going to be talking about uh, over the course of these next you know week or so, uh, three different Duke players. But overall, as the draft approaches on July 29th, what is your process for getting ready for all of these names that are set to be called and the ones, of course, that may not be called on, Ju on July 29th? It's really just um, you know continuing to organize information. Yeah, I've been watching these players, most of them since they've been in high school. So it's not so much a question of, you know, digging in on the players. Uh, it's more a, an issue of organizing information to spit it out when you get to the draft. And, uh, you know, you have an idea when players are going to get drafted, but you don't know for sure. So you just have to be ready to, you know, to pull the trigger on whatever players drafted at any given time. So it's, you know, I've been doing it. I think this is my 19th year doing the NBA draft. First one was 2003, the LeBron James draft. Uh, so, you know, you're trying to, trying to find new ways to do the same job and try to get better at it. I'm not sure I am, but, but, uh, it, it's not, um, it's not a real taxing thing. It's just the organization of information takes a long time. So over the course of this time that you've been doing it, obviously there's some drafts that are easier to kind of predict than others in this draft. Do you see where you kind of anticipate maybe, you know, a few picks here and there, or is it something where you feel like this draft is wide open for a lot of people? Uh, I wouldn't say wide open. I, I think like most drafts, this one seems to be slotted with players in particular ranges as to where they're going to be drafted. There are always surprises. And usually the surprise is a player that you think uh, will be drafted a little bit higher winds up going lower, frankly. 
Um, it's not often that you have a, a player that that goes, you know, way above where where he may be projected. It does happen. Uh, and you do have some movement uh, as you get closer to the draft. You know, after the combine, some players may impress that, uh, you know, might have been considered second round picks. They can move up to the first, you know, late in the first round or guys that were were thought might not get drafted at all, um, uh, get move into the second round. But this is uh, this is the deepest draft I can remember. I mean, I don't have it listed like, a, you know, in order of deep drafts, but um, I can't remember one that's deeper one through 60 than this draft. And I think there are a number of players that are going to go undrafted that'll find spots in the NBA. And uh, uh, it just shows there's a, a high level of talent across the board. It may not be the most talented draft at the top that we've had, but it's really talented at the top. Uh, there are a number of guys that in other years, I think would have gone number one, frankly. Um, but I, you know, you can't just say, Hey, this is, this is going to be like 2003 where you had, you know, LeBron and Carmelo and D Wade and, and, uh, Chris Bosch that are all hall of famers. You know, you might not have that, but, uh, but man, it's, it's hard to argue that this draft is as good as any I've seen overall. So it's great that you mentioned that because we do want to talk about a, a few different Duke players, three of them, obviously that could be slated at different points of this draft. And we want to start with Matthew Hurt. And first off, just very briefly, what excites you about Matthew Hurt as he enters this NBA draft? Uh, Matthew can shoot it. Uh, and that's that's a big factor for him is, you know, he, he's got a, a, a quick and high release on his shot and he can shoot the range. Uh, he can, you know, post and he's got a, a good turnaround jumper that's difficult to block. Um, you know, he's not the type that's going to go out and necessarily manufacture his own shot. Um, but he, he, because he can shoot it, I think he's a, a prospect that's going to be drafted uh, in the second round. And on the flip side of that, you know, obviously not everyone's perfect, but what do you see as the holes in his game that you think he needs to work on at the next level? Well, I don't know one of them. I don't know how much he can work on it. He's not a, you know, he doesn't have a, you know, a great NBA body and he's not a great athlete. So athletically, uh, that's going to be an issue for him. And the question for most players is, who, you know, who are they going to guard? And uh, and I think you could see through watching his first two years at Duke, there were some issues for him defensively where opposing teams attacked him uh, on the uh, on the defensive end and went after him uh, when he gets caught in a switch. Um, you know, they, they're, they're going to involve him in those type of situations to get that matchup and go at it. Um, but you know, look, there are a bunch of guys that are playing the NBA that can score that, that can't guard anybody. Um, so it's not, it's not disqualifying, but, uh, you know, I think his offense may warrant a first round look, uh, but overall, I think he's, he's a solid second round pick. It's interesting. You mentioned his draft body because, you know, we talked about the NBA combine and measurements is always one thing that comes out of it that people kind of scrutinize. And at that combine, Matthew Hurt was listed as having the second worst body fat percentage of all the players. Some people like to make a big deal about this, but for the listeners out there, is this something that NBA teams actually really scrutinize, or is this something that's just to kind of separate a bunch of cream at the top? Well, I mean, it's another thing that's just a factor. It's not, again, it's not disqualifying, but it certainly didn't help. And, you know, when you saw that number, it jumped out at you as, as for a guy that's, that's as thin looking as Matthew is, um, you know, he, his, his body fat was really high and, uh, yeah, it's something that, that he can improve upon and get in better physical condition. 
uh, by committing to it. Um, and, but it certainly is something I think he, uh, do people look at it? Darn right. They do. Um, it affects different people differently. You know, you've seen some guys that, uh, that they've dropped because of it, other guys it hasn't affected. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's definitely a factor that, that teams are going to, fa- are going to, going to look at and, and decide upon. One of the things that he that stood out about Matthew Hurts game to me during his sophomore year was a step back jumper that became pretty lethal at times, especially in that mid range, uh, 10 to 15 foot range with there normally being more spacing in the NBA. Does that feel like that Matt's game could work out well going up against traditional force? Or is this something where that step back jumper is going to have to come with something extra? No, I don't think it's necessarily something extra. I mean, he's going to have to, you know, be able to consistently knock down NBA threes, which I think he's going to be able to do. He's going to be out there as a floor spacer. I don't think anybody's going to draft him to be a leading scorer. Um, but but uh, as a rotational player, I think he's got he's got value because he can really space the floor and you have to go out and guard him. And he gets that shot off really quickly. Uh, and it's with that high release, it's difficult to bother. Um, but he's not a, a shot creator for himself. Um, you know, he does have the ability to make shots over, you know, over a defense, uh, and has proven that, uh, and you can, you know, he can, uh, operate a, a bit in isolation, but he's not, he's not going to get his own shot. He's going to be operating off of, you know, drive and kick situations where, uh, you know, he can, he can catch and shoot primarily, I think where, where his value would be. So a lot of people like to compare players to other players. So when you look at Matthew Hurt and you look at his game, is there an NBA player that you think he closely resembles? Yeah, I'm not really good at that. That's always been a weakness of mine as I've never been able to say, oh, he reminds me of this guy. Um, you know, I don't do that with every player, but, you know, there are a bunch of players in the 6'9 range um, that, that play uh, in the NBA and do well because they can shoot it. And we've had a number of guys that have gone into the league over the years that you've questioned their defensive abilities um, and, and still they've, they've had really good NBA careers. And I think, you know, Matthew's a guy that can have one of those careers because he can shoot and that cures a lot of problems. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't foresee him developing so much athletically where he's, he's not going to be ha- have defensive issues where he's not going to be targeted out there. Um, and it, it's primarily those things show up more than anything in the playoffs. Uh, you know, that's where that can be a, a real issue more than regular season. But, but it, it, look, it's going to be an issue and it's something he's going to have to have to work on. A lot of guys talk about players who, you know, come out early or they stay too late or they leave too early. In the case of Matthew Hurt, obviously he could have left as a freshman. He decided to come back for a sophomore year, had a terrific season. But most people would say his draft stock has kind of gone down from where it could have been after his freshman year. Do you think it hurt him coming out or do you think his stock is about where it's supposed to be? It, it, it is, you know, it, I don't like saying it is what it is because everything is what it is. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't factor that in. I don't think that's an issue. Um, you know, Matthew, one of the things that college fans have had a hard time wrapping their heads around is, you know, because they, they watch college primarily um, it, it's seen as if you're not going to be in the NBA and contributing right away, it, it's, you know, college is the best place for you to develop. And I don't believe that's true. Um, it, it can be a great place to develop, but a, a lot of players are developing really well and really quickly in the G League. Um, they've done it overseas. 
uh, it happens in other in other uh, areas um, other than college. Uh, it's just that college fans don't see it. So if they don't see it, they don't think it's happening. And somehow playing in the G League is seen as as being, you know, somehow somehow insulting or something like that. And it's not. Um, and that's one of the things players have to factor in. You know, are you um, will you develop quicker? and better working solely on your NBA game by being in the G league. A lot of players do that. Uh, and some of the guys that went to the G league right out of high school, um, may be in better position having done that than they would have been had they gone to college. The difference is college fans would have known Jalen green and Jonathan Kaminga and, and Dacian Nix and guys like that. Uh, while they don't know them now, they're going to find out because Jalen green's ridiculously good. And, uh, and Jonathan Kaminga is going to be very good. He's got a ton of potential. Um, but, but the days of, of college being, you know, sort of the, the default development area for the future in the NBA, those are over, uh, there are other great options for players that you can, you can really develop and develop just as quickly, if not quicker. And it's prediction time for Matthew Hurt. Where do you see him going in this draft, you know, kind of a range or in the alternative are there teams that you're looking at that say that you say that Matthew Hurt could be a good fit? No, I mean, I don't, I don't look at it that way. I think in the second round, you know, teams are looking for the best value they can get. And, uh, and I think Matthew is going to be slotted in there in the fifties. Um, could he go higher possibly if somebody likes him a little bit more than something else, maybe they have a need for a shooter, uh, you know, big guy that can stretch. Uh, but, but I, I see him being a, a mid second round pick. You know, Matthew did not play particularly well in the NBA draft combine. Um, he had one day where, where he, frankly, you couldn't tell he was out there. And day two, he was better. Um, but he didn't stand out uh, with that sort of in that setting. And I think you have to stand out in that setting. So I don't think it helped him. I'm not saying it hurt him, but it certainly didn't help him in my view. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jay Billis on Matthew Hurt. Jay, again. Glad to have you back on the podcast. We appreciate your time. Great to be back. Thank you. And we'd like to thank Jay once again for joining us on the DBR podcast. Again, a friend of the podcast, fellow young Jeezy fan aficionado, and of course, a member of the Brotherhood. Uh, although we, we talked to him a little bit about how he feels about uh, the Brotherhood. We'll, we'll tease that for later on. Uh, on the next episode but let's take a quick break right here when we come back we're going to react to what we heard from jay about matthew hurt and then we also have some measurements coming out of the duke summer camp so stick around okay gentlemen we are back and Let's react to what Jay, uh, what we discussed with Jay about Matthew Hurt. Again, Matthew Hurt, he's looking at being somewhere in the second round, but because of, you know, some things coming out of the combine, we obviously don't know where he could land, but obviously he has a chance. So Jason, I want to start with you. Was there anything that you heard from Jay that gave you pause or, or perked your eyes a little bit about Matthew Hurt's chances of getting drafted uh, on July 29th? Well, chances of getting drafted, Matthew Hurt is going to get drafted. I, I think there's little question about that. Um, will he be a first rounder? There's a lot of question about that. And, and I think probably not. Uh, you know, Jay talked about 
Matthew Hurt struggling at the combine um, and that Matthew Hurt disappeared on day one of the combine. He was a little bit better on day two, but completely disappeared on, on day one. And, and, you know, if you think back on Matthew's career at Duke, there were moments, there was, there were times that, you know, he, he disappeared and, and it was problematic. There was, you know, he had some great games. I mean, some really amazing games, especially this sophomore season, uh, that game against Louisville, you know, arguably one of the five, 10 best games by a Duke player ever in a Duke uniform. And I'm, I'm not, that's not hyperbolic. I mean, that's serious, but he had some games. Yeah, there were times where he disappeared. And, and if I was an NBA um, scout, it, it would concern me, you know, if you saw that happen at the combine, uh, I, you know, the, the biggest thing that I heard from Jay that, that I disagree with a little bit was Jay described hurt as just being a catch and shoot player. He said, he's just, you know, he's really just a guy who's going to stand out on the wing and hopefully bury three pointers for you. I, I, I don't know about that. The Matthew hurt that I saw this past year at Duke was very different from the guy he was as a freshman. As a sophomore, he did a good bit of creating his own shot. Um, and I've read some scouting reports about, on him that, that talk a little bit about how he can, how he can continue to do that at the next level. Uh, the, the problem, of course, for Matthew Hurt, as Jay said, is, is the defense. I, I don't know who Matthew Hurt guards in the NBA. And, and I don't know, uh, goodness gracious, put Matthew Hurt in a pick and roll and, and that's, you know, an, an NBA pick and roll. That is a real serious problem for Matthew Hurt. So, you know, Donald, to your question, uh, again, uh, he's going to get drafted. But, but sort of as time has moved on, on Matthew Hurt, I feel like my own perception of his draft stock has gone down and down and down. Like, I, I really thought when he first declared that he probably had a shot at a first-round pick. I, I'm now thinking... He's a mid second rounder and, and he's going to spend some time in the G league. He's got to, he's got to work on his conditioning. He's got to work on his quickness um, uh, because the NBA is a unforgiving place to people who can't move their feet really fast and stay in front of the guy they're guarding. I think when you're looking ahead at his, at Matthew hurts NBA projectability, it's the development of his body. That is the, it is going to get in his way. And Jay talked about that. Jason, you were just talking about that, but I think about Matthew Hurt as, at, you know, when, when you talk about uh, high school recruits, especially in football, there's a lot of discussion of like, how filled out is this guy already? And, and if he's just because a guy is the biggest guy on his high school team or is, is the most physically dominant on his high school team or even early in his college career, does not mean that he's going to be the best pro because there may be still growth to come. And so the question for Matthew Hurt and the question that I think a lot of NBA scouts are trying to figure out right now is how much room does he have left to develop good weight and athleticism that he hasn't yet? Because frankly, it's not there. And we talked all season about how beneficial it was for him to have put on weight over the offseason after his freshman season, which was great for him, right? It made him a much better rebounder. It made him able to, to take the pounding, especially down low, that he needed to succeed as a big in the ACC. Well, he's not going to be playing down low a ton in the NBA. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. So can he get his, his conditioning to a point where he can play on the wing for 25 minutes a night? That, I think, remains to be seen at the NBA level. And it's and is a question that 
that all the scouts are going to be wondering, can we get him to that point? Because he already has an elite skill. So can we get him to the point where he is conditioned enough to play out there? He can defend a little bit. He's not going to be an elite defender probably, but can we get him to that point where he's going to be useful? I, I think that that question is probably plaguing a lot of general managers as they're thinking about Matthew Hurt in the second round. Sam, I'm really glad you brought up the notion of Matthew Hurt remaking his body and the work he did in the offseason between his freshman and sophomore year, because to me, that's a really important part of his story. And uh, I, the fact that Matthew Hurt put in all that work, remember, he this is a guy who's a great shooter coming out of high school. And he not that he completely remade his shot, but he he changed the way he shot. He changed his release, the 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 timing of his release and and uh, where his release was, uh, you know, the height of his release, I guess you'd say. Uh, over the summer between his freshman and sophomore year, that shows me he's a guy who's willing to work on his game and adjust and make changes to improve himself. And if I'm an, uh, an NBA scout, if I'm a guy making NBA draft decisions, that's something I'm going to be really excited about. You know, a guy who's willing to put in the work and get better um, is a really, really important attribute for, for a guy succeeding at the NBA. We've seen plenty of guys come into the NBA not highly touted, who turned into really good contributing players because they were willing to put in the work that it took to get there. It's coachability for me. That's I'm glad you led into that, Jason, because coachability is an important trait in the NBA. We mentioned on, you know, on the interview, and I know you mentioned in, in the combine episode we did a couple of weeks ago that he had the second worst body fat percentage. Well, I mean, if you're on the cookout slash Juicy Lucy diet, it's not it's it's not the healthiest diet, but for him, putting the weight on first was important. And then he was able to coach himself onto, uh, you know, making sure that his timing of his of his release was quicker because he had a really slow release on his jump shot. We talked about that even when he was in high school coming into Duke, he had a slow release. He he improved that. He he developed a step back one legged jumper that could be done from just about anywhere on the court. It was unstoppable. I mean, Jason, you, you, I mean, we were throwing out comparisons of his shot to none other than Larry Bird, right? Like those yep. are, those are high traits and we weren't kidding when we said that. So I think some team is going to take a look at that. So there's a lot that Matthew Hurt can improve on in the NBA. And it's going to be, I think the question for him, yes, is going to be defense, but does he play, how does he play against the fours and the fives? Because he's not going to be put on the wing with the threes. He he's just, he's, got to stretch out and be able to defend fours, but be quick enough to defend a three if need be. So here's the question for both of you. And we're going to ask this question, ladies and gentlemen, over the course of these next couple of weeks with these episodes, also with DJ Stewart and Jalen Johnson. But for Matthew Hurt, we're going to do over under time. We did this last year and this year we, we have a couple, we have three new guys. So guys, I want to ask you the over under is number 40 in the draft. So that's, Close to mid-second round, over under Matthew Hurt getting drafted with the 40th pick of the draft, Sam. I'm going to go under 40. Is under worse? I'm going to go under 40. He's going to not quite be drafted at 40. I'm picking him in the 40s, and I think that the performance of the combine is what sort of tips it to me. I think it's a, I think it's a nice spot to be, to be thinking about for him, but I just don't know that he's stood out enough since the season ended to, to justify staying that high. Jason. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'll, I'll tell you that when, um, when we were talking about this, uh, I, I was like, Oh, forties, you know, that's right. That's right. The spot that I think 
hurt goes, that makes it a, a tough call. I actually think, you know, doing a little more research, listening to what Jay had to say about the combine and the such, I think uh, I'm with Sam. I think uh, uh, before the combine, I think Hurt may have been in a guy who could get picked in the 30s. I think now he's a guy who gets picked in the 40s. Um, but, but one thing I want to add really quick, uh, if for some reason we've talked about, you know, some, some of the ways that Matthew Hurt may struggle um, in the NBA, especially on defense, if that turns out to be something that, that is um, uh, fatal, for his NBA career, I think Matthew Hurt is still going to have a very long, very successful career in professional basketball in leagues other than the NBA. I'm saying he could be a great NBA player someday or a very good NBA player. If it doesn't work out for him in the NBA, his ability to shoot uh, from the outside at his size is going to mean that he's going to get paid somewhere for quite a long time. So I'm also going to go under, but I'm going under for this reason. I think when it comes down to the middle of the draft, you go based on feel. Sometimes you best you select the best player, but some teams go based on feel. They pick guys that they've seen, that they know, that they feel like they can trust. And when it comes to the brotherhood, obviously there are a lot of teams that have Duke players that are on there and have teams or, or have guys that have similar uh, builds. Right at 42, 43, 44, 45, you have the Pistons, Pelicans, Nets, Celtics. I think one of those teams could take a flyer on Matthew Hurt because one, those teams kind of need something like Matthew Hurt, a, an outside shooter that can stretch, a big guy that can stretch the floor a little bit. But also they have Duke pedigrees and they have Duke guys in front offices or they have Duke players on the team. And so they have guys who can sit there and say, chemistry wise, this guy will fit right in. So I'm going to go slightly under for Matthew Hurt. But I do think that in that 40 to 45 range, we could see his name called uh, on on draft night yeah so so it's funny so all three of us say nah he he won't go in the first 40 if we move that number to 45 i think all three of us might we're probably that. yeah we're probably pushing yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so. Pretty, so so that's good so matthew hurt in the can we hope that he has an incredible draft and hopefully we hear his name be called some point in the second round we think that's what's going to happen we obviously will have further talk about dj stewart and jalen johnson on future episodes but i did want to move on quickly because summer camp is here for duke men's basketball and we've had some uh video coming out of camp but we've also had some measurements that were pretty interesting so jason i know you keep track of the measurements you did the combine ones this is not a combine but this is something that duke does every year and they like to release some of these things about the uh, vertical leaps or, or straight jumps or, or wingspans and we have some records that were set, weren't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some very interesting records. The, the first one is Mark Williams. Duke's Mark Williams set a record. And by a record, I mean, in, in the history of Duke taking measurements, Mark Williams set a record for standing reach and wingspan. Mark's standing reach is nine foot, eight inches tall. His wingspan is seven, seven. Folks, remember back. He's, he's still seven feet tall. Remember, we talked about at the combine that the NBA considers elite length to be six plus inches. If you're more than six inches longer than you are tall, that's elite at the NBA. Well, Mark Williams is plus seven, seven footer who measures seven, seven in his wingspan. Seven, seven wingspan is really, really big. In fact, at this year's combine for the NBA, now Mark Williams didn't go to the combine, but if he'd been at the combine, the best the best wingspan at the combine of anyone there was seven, four Mark Williams would have eclipsed that by three full inches. Dude is long. 
there's you know no way to say it other than that and and that that nine foot eight standing reach so get this about mark williams there's only been one player in nba combine history to have a reach greater than nine foot eight that was taco fall who came in at greater than 10 feet in his in his standing reach but mark williams nine eight is is just huge and it tells you a lot of why he is so effective around the basket by the way those numbers that uh, I, I i haven't checked last year's to see what he was last year but my understanding is that both of these numbers are an improvement or growth from last year for mark williams so so he he's continuing to grow which is really exciting and then the other guy who who set a record was theo john the the transfer that duke got from marquette um, Theo John is officially the strongest Blue Devil in history. Um, they have a, a thing where they get down um, on, on the bench and they do a bench press of 185 pounds. And how many reps can you do at 185? Theo John did 26 bench press reps at 185. That breaks the record previously held by Sheldon Williams of 25 bench presses of 185. So Theo John, the strongest Blue Devil ever, Mark Williams, the longest and standing reachiest blue devil of all time. <laughs> Jason, of all the numbers that you just threw out, the one that I'm most excited about is Mark Williams' standing reach because we know what a good shot blocker he was last year in addition to being a, a good scorer and rebounder. But the shot blocking, I think, is what's, is what's most exciting about Mark Williams. The fact that when he puts his hands up, they are basically at the rim means that if you are challenging him, you got to get really high to to get over the top of Mark Williams and and if he's going to become a better shot blocker this year as a result of of that growth man teams are going to be very scared to challenge Mark Williams inside the paint and honestly look it's not like he's blocking shots standing flat-footed on the ground he is jumping and it's no, not he like he's only, up. yeah it's not like he can he has a Larry Bird type of you know vertical leap where he's only jumping like two or three inches man is jumping 25 30 inches into the air with his 9 8 uh, the nine, eight standing height. That is a lot of men to try and cover, uh, to get over, to try and dunk a basketball or to lay it in or to shoot it. So that means that teams are going to be planning around Mark Williams and how to get around this tall tree in the, in the middle to put the ball in the basket. And in the case of Theo John, I think people underestimate how strong you have to be to lift 185 pounds, 26 times. Again, as you mentioned, Jason, the record had stood since 2006, Sheldon Williams had that record. He also put out a little thing on social media congratulating uh, Theo on getting his record. But that is an incredible feat. I've done 185 once. I think I was in high school. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be able to do it again. But he did it 26 times. That is incredible. Yeah, and I'm just so excited that we're getting, you know, these sort of hints of, of what's going on with the players over the summer. Last summer, we, we did not get any of this because it was a very different time. And, uh, and it's great to know that the guys are there, they're working out, we've been getting little snippets of, of highlights from, from some of the workouts that they're doing. Uh, it looks like uh, Paulo Banquero is, wow, uh, a, a, heck of a, a heck of a shooter for a guy with his size and, and measurables. Um, and and to, to get this word about Mark Williams and Theo John, that, that Duke front line, whew, it, it's, it's super impressive, you know, Coach K is going for number six and, and the front line is, is where the hopes lie. And it seems like everyone on the team has embraced that, right? Like he kept, I, I know we're kind of going back into when coach K 
was doing his retirement press conference, but he said that I don't want this to be the you know last ride. I want this, you know, the, the last journey or, or something where we're going for something. I just want it to be a nice ride. And these guys are like, with all due respect, coach, no, we are going for this thing. Uh, let, let's go get this number six for you. And you can ride off with the sunset however you want after that. So uh, we'll see what more as more substantive video comes through from Duke men's basketball. We obviously will be here to comment on it because we like scrutinizing video from practice over the summer. Uh, we just don't have enough to scrutinize yet. So with that, we will end it here on episode 326 of the Duke basketball report podcast. Again, we will be back soon with more NBA draft coverage with Jay Billis on DJ Stewart and Jalen Johnson, but obviously you can subscribe whenever you want. You can listen to all of these all of the time. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and review, leave us five stars. We really appreciate it. And if you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions, dbrpodcast at gmail.com is where you want to go on your email address. We love hearing from our listeners. So until next time, for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. This is the DBR Podcast, and this is the Duke Band to take us home.